You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, JD Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. the 25th anniversary of the Saskatoon Fringe Festival and uh, myself and Stephanie are here to check it out and also to present uh, Stephanie's work for Body and Light. Well, while we're in town we're going to be speaking with some of the artists who are also involved in the Fringe Festival. Uh, as it is a much smaller festival than the others we've been covering, there's only 33 shows, only six venues. It's very intimate, very, uh, very charming. And uh, it does mean that there's a lot less dance happening over here, but we are going to be speaking with a lot of physical theater artists and people who have uh, shows that don't necessarily include dialogue or, or have uh, puppetry or something else going on that, uh, you know, piques our interest here at Dirty Feet. So we're going to start with uh, such an interview. So first up, we have Jan Janowski. You got it. I got it. Great. Thank you so much for being here. Thank and, you for having me. Uh, we had the pleasure to see him preview his, his piece at this lovely event that Saskatoon has here, um, the preview night at Broadway Theatre. Uh, and I really think that uh, the audience uh, dove right in with that, and it was quite impressive. He's doing a show called Play Piano Play, and uh, I think as far as movement goes and as far as questions that I would really love to ask is all related to muscle memory because I feel like that's what music playing is all about especially when, when you play at the level that you're playing with um, maybe talk a little bit about that and, and maybe your background in music because uh, from what I saw you you seem to have been playing for forever yeah, no, I've been, I've been playing for a while. I've got a degree from the U of S in classical piano, and I've got a uh, diploma from Humber College in jazz, and then I went off to cruise ships for about eight or nine years touring the world, so I'm quite uh, seasoned, and there's a lot of muscle memory going on because I've had to just uh, memorize things pretty quick and on the job. So I've been doing this a while, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And is there a mix of, of uh, playing by ear, but also reading music? Yeah, you bet. I'm, I'm very fluent in, in reading um, basically anything that someone puts up in front of me. I play a lot of chamber music as well, a lot of classical music. And on the other side, because I'm a jazz pianist, I can play everything by ear as well. So you, you need the combination to, to work. Yeah, yeah. Being able to balance the two kind of uh, puts you, yeah, every situation works. But as far as uh, the first time that you went out to see, did, were you seasick? Was that a, an issue? I went out the first week. I, the first night, it was rocky, it was storming, and I was moving left and right in the cabin. My uh, cabin mate was just laughing at me because he's just old season pro. He's just making fun of me the whole time. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going up or down. And it took me two days um, of being sick, and then after that, I never got sick again. So I guess I was pretty lucky. Wow. So it's, you're kind of constantly swaying and moving when you're on the ship. After being away for a really long time, once you get off the ship, how is that? Once you get off the ship, you're still kind of swaying. It feels like you're just in a canoe. 
yeah. the whole time. But then you get kind of used to it, and then you sleep really well on the cruise ship. It's like kind of rocking a baby to sleep, so it's really smooth. <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, and when, you, when you're playing on the ship, because I'm really interested in, in uh, when you're gone for a very long time, do you, do you miss home at all? Is this? Oh, of course. I don't think anybody wants to be out. Like, I, uh, <laughs> I love being home. I love being on, on land all the time. It's just when I was doing the cruise ships, it's kind of one of the last venues to work consistently. Yeah. And if I would rather be on land now that I'm a little bit older and, and play a lot more land gigs, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about uh, your show, Play Piano Play, and kind of how you put it together and what, uh, what the themes are of it? Sure. It is comedy and piano. It's style of Victor Borga. I got inspired by the physical comedy and physical theater of Charlie Chaplin and also the moves of Michael Jackson, if you can believe, because I think he's one of the best physical theater people I've ever seen because his moves are so distinct and shocking. So my... My knowledge of meeting street performers over the years, meeting physical people, uh, interviewing mimes, asking how can I incorporate some of this into my show and with my playing. So I've got this skit that I built kind of in the style of Mr. Bean that explains the musicians in a kind of animal kingdom way with just strictly physical movements. And it seems to really work well because the reviewers like it. They've seen nothing like it. I've never seen anything like it. I don't even know if it was going to work, but I guess it does. So I'm I'm happy about that. In uh, in your preview, you were imploring the audience to kind of challenge you to to play anything. Uh, is is it the kind of show that has a lot of openness to, to for dialogue with the audience? It does. In in one section, I invite the the audience to whatever they want to hear. I will try to play it for them. And this is the interesting part of the show because you'll get audiences that won't say anything. They're very polite. They just want to listen to audiences that are Nickelback, Nickelback, Nickelback. Or Freebird is the most popular one that everybody calls out. You get, and then some people challenge me and say classical music or some ragtime. And I'm lucky that I've been playing all that stuff my whole life. So I'm kind of prepared, but you never know what people are going to say. There's another uh, Saskatoon-based artist who's presenting work at the Fringe Festival that used, uh, that referenced Mr. Bean as an as a inspiration for her. This is the, the woman who's doing uh, Gary Has a Date, who we'll be speaking with a little bit later. Wonderful show, by the way. Yeah, it was, it was. But I thought it was curious that the two of you kind of use that same reference and that you come from a uh, similar space. Where... Can you speak maybe to, to what's going on in the physical theater scene in Saskatoon? Is there something in the water? I can't. I don't really know the scene in Saskatoon, what's going on. But, but I think when people see that for the first time, it really triggers people's imagination. And you're actually saying way more by saying nothing. And the really the less is more. So the better you are at the movements, the more you can say... And that's something I've really been surprised with and enjoyed learning. And people are really taking to it. If I'm not mistaken, you're a CAF Tour lottery winner. 
I am. You are. So um, what, what cities have you selected? Where are you coming from and where are you heading off after Saskatoon? I've done Toronto, Winnipeg, uh, Saskatoon, which has been one of my favorites so far, <laughs> and then Edmonton. So it has been a great experience to just meet people and I like the smaller venues uh, better because you actually get a chance to to meet people and interact with your audience and yeah, a lot more intimate. Yeah. And do you feel that this show is an intimate show and an exchange in that way? That um, yeah, it's very intimate. It's very charming. It incorporates like it's kind of a also a part concert, part ridiculous, like a flight of the concords meets a. G version of Spinal Tap meets Mr. Bean meets Victor Borga with a Czech immigrant coming to Canada. So I think ridiculous is maybe (laughs) the theme that runs through it. And is this something that you want to continue doing, the, the Fringe Circuit, or doing a Fringe Tour with maybe another show? And what's what's next after Play Piano Play? I've been working on a show now uh, about five cruise ship pianists. So my stories of true stories based on working on the cruise ship, working with all the musicians, the trials and tribulations, Mm. and just living on a ship for 10 months out of the year. It's a comedy, of course. Well, thank you so much for coming. Um, you have a show today, but this will be released later on. So uh, you're running till August 9th. You're at the Broadway Theater. Is that correct? No, I'm at the Refinery. The Refinery. Sorry about that. So the Refinery and tickets are $14, as they all are for all Saskatoon artists. Um, so have a great run. And uh, we're really excited to see the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks. And can you just introduce the uh, track we're going to play? Yeah, you'll be hearing Play Piano Play. Thank you. 
So we're back with another interview uh, from an artist who's presenting uh, physical theater work at the Saskatoon Fringe Festival. And uh, I didn't mention it earlier, but you, you may be hearing a lot of extra sounds this week because we're, of course, um, not in our regular studio in Montreal, but rather on-site in Saskatoon. We're at the Broadway Roastery here in town, which we've uh, quickly come to call our favorite little coffee shop uh, on day four of our trip. So we're going to be speaking next with Emily Windler, and uh, she's actually... uh, coming on the show on behalf of two different productions as a part of the festival. Uh, Her own uh, one-woman show, Gary Has a Date, and also the Wonderheads production of The Middle of Everywhere. Uh, So I think probably we're going to start with Gary Has a Date, because that's your baby. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both of these shows are very physical and uh, very comedic. Mm -hmm. This is true. <laughs> so perhaps you can give us a little bit of a description of, of what we saw uh, in Gary Has a Date. It's uh, you're, you're kind of a clownish, awkward character mm-hmm. preparing for a date. Yeah, Gary Has a Date is a physical comedy through and through. That is the whole point. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he's just sort of a bumbling, nerdy character and uh, and... Basically, the show is watching him trying to get ready for this date, and um, and and then we see what happens, which is he never gets to have his date really because everything goes wrong. Spoiler uh, alert! Spoiler alert! Yeah, um, uh, yeah. So that's basically, it. and Gary is just a really, you know, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a he means well. He's really trying hard in life, but uh, nothing quite works out all that well. Um, there seems to also be a big uh, part of the show is like prop manipulation. What prop? Yes. Yeah. 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 It's very dependent on my stuff on the on the world, and um, I I just really enjoy that kind of physical comedy. That uh, I guess I grew up watching too much like Don Knotts and Peter Sellers, and you know like in all the old Pink Panther movies. Like it's all very um, it's just very physical. Like the stuff that happens to be there can really give you a lot of material for things to go wrong. And so I really enjoy that kind of comedy. And um, yeah, and so it was kind of just seeing, okay, this is where Gary is, this is the stuff he has, what what could happen, and kind of like seeing what, with, with the prop stuff, I think a lot of it is seeing what leads, what leads where from something going wrong, you know, like, oh, okay, he gets tape stuck to his hand, okay, oh, well, duh, it's going to get stuck to the vase, and like, the, you know, so it's just seeing like what evolves from that yeah, from moment to moment, sort of. So kind of an action-reaction with from prop to prop. Yes, yeah. And when developing the character, um, what is it based out of? Do you have some kind of like awkward uncle that was really <laughs> inspiring? Um, the more I do it, the more I think it's based on myself. <laughs> um, I think really, I think I subconsciously created a Don Knotts character, really, the more I think about it. Um, I uh, I just think that char- that type of character is so funny. That's just like, has no idea, is a little bit oblivious to how disastrous and awkward they are. 
but that the that the heart of the character is so kind you know that they mean so well but they have no idea that it's they're not you know they're pretty gross and weird (laughs) (laughs) and as far as the physicality and the the within the character and the way uh, he awkwardly walks or, or the spasms in the, in the movement when he realizes something's going wrong. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that something that came naturally through, through the script or through the development of the piece? Mm-hmm. Or is this something that... Uh, what was the research behind that movement mm-hmm. as Gary? I actually created the character first, um, sort of a nugget at... Uh, my grad school, I went to Del Arte International School of Physical Theater, tiny, tiny physical theater school up in Northern California. And uh, there's sort of a prompt for a character project, and it was to create a short play on a character, you know, not just like a scene or something. It just was like trying to get a glimpse into the world of this character. And, uh, and so that's when I created Gary and... It all sort of came naturally. It was all sort of like a whole package deal. I kind of found, you know, you find pieces of, okay, I want him to be, okay, I have to look less like a woman. Okay, I'm going to give myself these ridiculous padded shoulders. Okay, that makes me walk kind of, you know, weird and kind of gangly. And then I kind of gave myself bigger shoes, so I kind of have like a shuffly step. So... Again, I, I think I like using the mask. It's kind of like the prop thing is I like creating a full body mask to give me... It's kind of like I'm creating it, but it's also giving me something to work with. You know, it's like trying on pieces. Oh, that makes my physicality this mm-hmm. way, and I like that about the character. So the kind of the costume adapting, you're having, you having to adapt the movement due to the costume and the restrictions A little bit, it. yeah. It's like creating it in that way of thinking, okay, what can make this character really, uh, really pop and become its own entity and kind of just like messing around with those things. And then, so that, yeah, so it's finding the character first and then it was kind of discovering, okay, what a, who is this character? Where does he live? What does he do? You know, for a while he was sort of this right wing like Bible guy. <laughs> I was doing all kinds of weird things. I was like, no, 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 I don't think this is right. This isn't Gary. No, no, no. You know, and then eventually I, yeah, I was trying to, yeah, because I think it started with, um, you know, he's a Bible guy, but he was having a date over and he was sort of like, you know, preparing Bible verses, like weird stuff. And then, and then eventually I kind of let that go. And then it was just about the date. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Gary. This is weird. And there's a scientist, like maybe he has snail posters and stuff. But, um, yeah, so it started there just kind of, uh, molding the mask of the character. Does that kind of construction involve working with a mirror or with video to kind yeah. of have it reflected? Yeah, I, it, with the character, definitely with a mirror, yeah, just trying things on and kind of seeing how it looks and how the body adjusts and, okay, is that right? Let me try this. And then once it got to creating the show, I definitely will use video. Yeah, I'll kind of put things on its feet and kind of mess around with it, play with it. And then, and then when I think I have what I think it should be, I'll, I'll record it and then kind of watch it. And that really helps me say, okay, Oh, this could happen next or, or yeah, that's not quite right. Or yeah. And what, uh, what inspired your launching into the studying of uh, physical theater? Gosh. Um, I just love, 
I love that kind of theater. I mean, I, I think it's because I like, I've just always loved like mask and just the non-traditional or I mean, it's a really old technique, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of strictly dialogue plays or more, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? There's just more widely seen of that kind of theater. And I think it's more, it's, I'm just really excited by that aspect of creating this bigger-than-life character. Um, and so I've always loved that kind of work in theater. And, um, yeah, and I had a friend kind of tell me about Del Arte, and I thought, that's exactly what I need. Because I love, I had worked a little bit with puppetry and a little bit with mask, and each time I did, I just was like, oh, I just love this kind of theater. So um, that was kind of the push into, I was like, I, I just want to learn more and practice more in this type of theater. So that was kind of why I decided to study more and go to grad school at Del Arte. Great. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the Wonderheads and uh, yes. and who started that and what it's all about? So the Wonderheads uh, was founded by Kate Braidwood and Andrew Phoenix in 2009, and uh, I started touring them well, with them in 2011. 2011, um, just in different capacities. They had created uh, Grim and Fisher was their first show, which they did in Saskatoon last year. Um, it was the first show they created together. It was the two of them. And it's about um, an old woman who is quite feisty. And, you know, she's approaching the end of her life, but she's not ready to go yet. And so it's her battling the Grim Reaper. And they kind of go at it, you know, and because uh, she's putting up a fight and she doesn't want to go. So that's what that show's about. And it's funny and also very touching and, you know... Um, emotional at the same time and uh so they created that show and then in 2011 they decided to um to tour it on the french festival and then so they enlisted me because it's also there's no speaking it's a full face mask work um and there's no so there's no dialogue or anything um but there's a lot of so we use music and a lot of kind of sound effects and things like that to create the world and um so that's kind of where I came in uh, to handle the tech side because it is very tech heavy um, to yeah to kind of work with that form of uh, of no speaking and uh, anyway so that's how we kind of got together and then each year I've sort of started doing more and more um, with the company and uh, last year we created a short mask piece to go before Grumman Fisher and I performed that and um, and then this year we all collaborated and created the new uh, show The Middle of Everywhere um, so yeah um, I could probably speak more about the form itself maybe yeah that sounds good um, so Kate makes the masks um, and we all went to Del Arte, so they also, that's kind of how we met. Um, and uh, the mask comes from, it's like a blend of a form that's called larval mask, which is even less detailed. It's kind of almost like a, it's almost like a sketch of a character. It's almost less human, but you get the emotion of, like the basic emotion of the character just from the kind of facial expression. And, um, 
And so it was kind of, we had learned a little bit of that at school. It was a blend of that and a blend of, uh, sh- Kate had done an internship with this uh, great company, Family Flutz, in Germany. And they also do this full face mask, um, full length shows. And, uh, and so she's kind of combined like her own version, amalgamation of these things. And uh, the masks are, she's just a great mask maker. So the masks are just really beautiful and very detailed and she works to create um a a blend of emotion like we'll say okay we want this character to be you know fearful but also you know kind of disgusted at life or whatever we'll like choose the basic how we want the character to be and then she'll create the mask based on that and she'll kind of use like an asymmetrical she'll make it asymmetrical so one side might be have more of the fearful so when you turn one way it'll kind of you know it'll show that side and then one side will have more of the disgust or happy or whatever it is and um and so that's it's kind of like a blend of that uh the fact that she's really good at making masks and and playing it physically is how because one of the one of the most common things we get from the shows are people saying like i like i could have sworn that the masks were moving like i know that they're not moving but it looks like the facial expressions are moving and that is from the physicality well it's from her being able to make a really good mask but then it's also just figuring out how to play the mask with the body and how to show those emotions strictly just through the the movement yeah. Yeah, and when you say that, I was I was actually going to bring it up. It's crazy how that the character and and what you see, the depth of the expression and everything, really develops as the show goes on. Mm. And you and you're like, this is a real person. The, you know, they're actually reacting to these situations. And yeah. I and I feel like the the mask was really changing, which that's, is kind of crazy. <laughs> that's really yeah. That's cool to hear. It's cool to hear that it also kind of change it evolves as the show goes on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's um and you know performing in that style it's such a specific way to perform actually like as a performer it kind of feels a little bit like puppetry in a way because it is a full mask, you know, you don't you're not using your mouth, you're not using your own eyes even. So it really is just your body and so it's almost like being able to know the character but kind of manipulate the character almost mm-hmm. as like a puppeteer would you know it's really interesting to to perform in that way because I'm, I'm rather new to it they've been doing it a little bit longer than I have and I've slowly you know gotten more and more into performing with that type of mask and it's just yeah it's as a physical performer it's just a totally different way of using the movement um to try to achieve that, you know, that people can really invest into the emotions of this character and accept it as a person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how has it how's it been jumping from from one production to the other and kind of <laughs> juggling two different shows, two different yeah. uh, creative processes? Yeah. And, and the how how has that been going? It's been good. It was a little yeah. It was almost a little jarring at first I had kind of, we were cause this the middle of everywhere is brand new like we finished creating it just maybe a week before we hit Winnipeg pretty much we did a short run in Portland um, 
and then uh, and then just sort of hit the road. So with that show, we've kind of been discovering, still discovering it. Like, okay, okay, this is the timing, and just trying to sink more into it, you know. And uh, and Gary has been kind of a long time, sort of developing, revisiting, developing more, and um, and so with that show is also kind of rediscovering my timing of it and then for me it's a little bit like okay 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 I can't let Gary's like fidgety movements float into (laughs) Winston's movement you know and uh and actually uh being able to do the Winston character in the middle of everywhere actually helps out my the way I think about Gary because in the physical comedy, it's kind of all about the take to the audience and trying to be clear, but in the chaos, you know. And I think if after since it had been a while since I had done the show, I was kind of revisiting it. I had gotten a little bit flowy with my like some some things were kind of running together, you know, and the timing of of where the where the joke needs to punch or whatever was kind of getting a little like fuzzy, and so doing the mask work I was like oh it's the same it's the same thing it's the same thing like I need to be just as clear because I have a whole body mask just because I don't have the mask on my like a whole mask on my head it's the same thing you know so I have it's actually been quite nice as a reminder when I'm revisiting that show to to say okay you know I have to turn but then be clear about my take to the audience and then, you know, look when I discover show that I discover in my body. So it's all it's kind of the same principles that I didn't really think about before, you know. So it's actually been helpful for myself. I'm just teaching myself in this. <laughs> this is all a learning process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, in the middle of everywhere, I mean, we've we've discussed how uh, the physicality was so clear and it, it kind of also makes me f- realize that like body language is well it reinforces for me that body language is so important and so integral in communication another big way that you communicate in that show is through the sound the it's like this amazing soundtrack that that um, you know changes the the space from from track to track and also has these added moments where it lines up with your miming of actions Mm -hmm. which was very exciting to see in the show um and it is a testament to kind of the rehearsal i guess of the Mm -hmm. of the performers um i don't know can you speak to that at all do you have a reaction um and you're kind of talking about sort of uh like the mime throw and the soundtrack of the land the landing of the object oh yeah, yeah 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 Um, Yeah, that is a mix of, uh, well, we were lucky in that, well, first of all, Kate designs the sound as well. Kate, she has a really good ear for that kind of thing. And um, and it's uh, it's nice kind of creating it all at once, you know, because as we're going, she'll create the sound. We'll come back to rehearsal and work with the sound. And it's definitely a mix of figuring out who's going off of who, um, Brian Kuabara, who also helped me create Gary, he's running the sound for um, for the middle of everywhere, and which is uh, slightly more sound cues than any other Wonderhead show so far. It's like um, 
So he's running like 150 cues. So it's ah. not just one. It's not one track. Okay. We're working with someone so else. So he's reacting to your yeah, actions. We're, we're reacting to each ah. other, which makes it like it just would be. You know, you wouldn't have that freedom as a performer mm-hmm. if you really had to memorize and kind of time it all out. So we we like to be able to work with another performer, essentially, you know, that he has the timing, the sense for the timing, and we have the sense for the timing. So it really is like in rehearsal deciding, okay, I'm going to go off of you. I'll wait for the sound cue, okay? I'm going to go off of you. Or sometimes it'll, it'll be, you know, us going for the grab, and then he'll go off of our movement. So it's kind of remembering who's working off of who and when the... Yeah, so it's really nice in that way. So essentially, we're, there's four of us performing, you know, so that makes it, 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 it's nice in that way. And it has the freedom in case something else happens and we have that ability to improvise or whatever it is or add or add things as we find the show, you know, and uh, so that it's not so, so strict. But it is specific. <laughs> it is strict, but it's not, yeah. <laughs> Well, we have a piece that... So this show, actually, is the first show we've worked with um, a composer. We've had the music originally composed for the show. Um, it, besides the obvious pop, we have a couple you know, pop songs in there or pop references. Um, but everything else has been uh, written specifically for the show. And uh, so that actually was a new process for us. And um, inter- interesting to say, oh, I, you know, we, we've been working with this song in rehearsal. We want something with this feeling. Um, so one of the main themes of the song is sort of, we sort of think of it as Winston's theme a little bit. And... Um, this song is uh, it just has a whimsical quality that we wanted in the show and uh, and we had asked for a sort of theme for Winston um, and we had shown uh, Bill who uh, we were working with the music he um, we would show him what what we were doing with the character and what kind of character he was and and so he would watch that and then we'd tell him things that we were interested in music wise and he would go away and then write something and this particular song we just really loved so we were kind of found where it was appropriate you know at first we thought oh it should be at the beginning no it should be at the end okay both okay you know so we um yeah so the song is kind of a a major theme in the show fantastic and we'll be playing that right after the interview thank you so much we've been speaking with emily windler from uh gary has a date which is a one-woman show and the wonder heads production of the middle of everywhere here at the uh, saskatoon fringe festival thank you so much for having me our pleasure
So up next, we have a wonderful production that uh, we had the pleasure of having at the St. Ambroise Montreal Fringe Festival, uh, who did very well, won an award, a very important award, that we'll talk a little more about that in a bit. Uh, so here at the Saskatoon Fringe, we've got locals, they're from here, they've been lovely, helping us kind of fill the place and understanding how things work here in Saskatoon. Uh, from Aidan Flynn lost his brother, so he makes another. We've got co-creator Morgan Murray um, and uh, Danielle Spilchen here with us at the cafe. Um, so thank you so much for coming out. We know how uh, waking up early during the Fringe could be a little bit of a challenge sometimes. Um, 11 o'clock is early during the Fringe. <laughs> I'm usually up anyways, so <laughs> So this is a beautiful production that mixes... Uh, shadow puppetry and and movement and and more movement and and the costumes it's just such a universe that we can kind of all dive into um so i think we'll just start by talking about the movement and and how uh these these characters were created so where did that all start uh the characters didn't start getting created until we had a space uh we Uh, rented out a church basement in starting in March just for this week that I had off that I was going on tour with the puppet show at the time but we booked up this week to just get in there and feel some things out and we did a lot of um, river work um, if you're familiar with that it was just basically followed impulses or, and uh, figured out how we were going to make a body vocabulary because the show doesn't have any dialogue so we really needed to focus on how we were going to explain what we were doing next and everything. So that whole week was started off like that, and we kind of got into specific character things when the story was starting to get fleshed out. And it was more so for you, Danielle. Um, yeah, I guess um, once we finished with the kind of first kind of exploration of just um, our own personal movements and our own our own natural impulses and things like that. Um, we really just kind of sat down and kind of like laid out moments that we really wanted to make sure we hit and then um, just started playing with them. Um, and the result now is completely different than when we started, obviously. It's evolved and changed and become more specific um, and other moments have grown into larger moments and things like that. But it was just really important that we were able to just play and um, build upon things and decide we want that, get rid of that. Um, so yeah, I think that was kind of the process, I suppose. And for the listeners who, who don't know uh, who Aidan Flynn is or, or don't know the story, can you maybe put them into context? So what is this story about? What's the storyline? Um, well, it's kind of indicative from the title just because um, it's fairly like a, almost a summary um, there's a death in the Flynn family um, it kind of breaks them all apart so Aiden being this eight year old with all the creativity that you could ever imagine uh, decides to bring them all together by making a new brother um, and that's exactly what he does through kind of Frankenstein science um, yeah It's a very personal, I feel like it's a very personal, intimate story, mm -hmm. uh, very heartwarming. Is this something that's based on uh, a real-life event or something that happened 
you know, in your in your own families. Uh, what the whole idea of the story kind of came from me and Nathan. We we're sitting down making up ideas, and he had this passion. He wanted to create a monster story because, like, he had done all these studies when he was at the Regina Conservatory. And I wanted to tell a story about uh, brotherhood kind of thing. And then he kind of got into that because we're both older brothers. And we kind of knew what it was like. And we never lost any brothers. We've, like, experienced loss in families or whatever. But um, we were kind of thinking more along the lines of um, that moment when you discover that your younger sibling is their own person. (laughs) When they start making decisions that are, like, not influenced by you. That was the impetus for the entire story, and like, there's one there's one small moment in the play where that happens, where the younger brother makes his own decision, and it changes the entire how the whole story could end. And that's kind of what I was gearing toward the whole time. Wow! And um, you were mentioning before we started recording that this all of the music is original and created for the piece. How did that collaboration work, and who were you working with? Well, uh, Nathan Howe, our director, he is a musician himself. Last year he did a, his own show, Matchstick, which was a folk musical. And he co-wrote all the music um, with his co-star at the time. But this time around, uh, he, we had a music coordinator as well named Derek DeRoche. Um, they're both uh, multi-instrumental. And so what they would do is Derek would come and watch our rehearsals from time to time. And he'd tinker on his piano and just kind of like observe. But then him and Nathan would get into his basement like later on, and um, they'd just play until they found things that worked. Nathan had like a list. It was like, hey, we need something for a scene that involves this or like this dance or this like uh, soft moment here, and so like they just kind of kept creating that way. So very emotion based. Very yeah. Huh. And for the shadow puppetry, is this uh, a tool or an approach or, or something you guys use in other productions? Or is this a new world that you guys are just discovering now? Um, it was new for me. I've never really done any shadow puppets. I don't know if Morgan has either. No shadow puppets. No, no. He's done puppetry before, but just not in the shadows. Um, Nathan, I mean, we already mentioned that he did a show last year called Matchstick, and he and um, his co-star Lauren, they, they did do some shadow puppetry there as well and just played with a projector and different things like that. So this year... Um, I, I guess I wasn't really part of the decision making at the beginning because I wasn't actually on the project but that was one of the things that they really wanted to incorporate and it's, it's worked out really well um, it's definitely changed a lot from what I think it originally was kind of intended to be there was a, um, when I walked in uh, after they had been kind of playing around one day they had a bunch of cut out pieces um, like, a, like a robot and a cityscape and uh, Frankenstein to be lowered from the ceiling and a lot of that actually didn't end up being used because um, it just wasn't really as effective for the storytelling um, but it was just kind of fun to play with it and kind of see how different moments worked and also when you are yourself behind the uh, the screen being like just a person shadow, um, you realize how little you really need to do. It's just, it's a lot more effective just to be like very still and just do very simple motions kind of thing. So it's a different kind of acting altogether. And having had seen the show, I think that sim- simplicity is really what, what brings it together and makes it, uh, makes it really beautiful. 
Um, so you guys are the winner, uh, the winners of of the best English theater production from the Montreal Fringe. Congratulations! That's Thank you really very much. <laughs> it was quite a lovely moment when that was announced and everything. I could still <laughs> I could still see it all. Um, so for our listeners who who are are curious and and will be in Montreal in in February, I believe January, January? Yeah. seventh to seventeenth. Oh. Well, it's very exciting. Um, <laughs> I got the email, okay? <laughs> uh, so as far as, as having this show, knowing it worked, maybe there's, there's a lot more confidence in, in, in that feeling of, okay, it won an award. Oh, my God, this is good. Um, how, how do you continue to challenge yourself within this production, and, and how is that balance happening I think um, you just have to find kind of moments to keep playing and things like that. And obviously, like, going from city to city, it gets a little, like, more challenging in different spaces or there's, you know, different things to deal with, like going from a smaller space, say, to a bigger space. Um, We, in um, both Montreal and Toronto, we're in moderate-sized spaces. Um, So we were able to get the show done in mm, not even a full hour. I would say, like, 50 minutes-ish. Um, and then when we went to Winnipeg, we were given this quite sprawling space, which was exciting for um, how big we could make our projector fill the screen. But it also meant that we had a lot of more running space. So it took us just longer to actually do the show. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, you just have to find moments and, and things to just kind of build and change and things like that. And I didn't even realize, I guess, partway through, was it Montreal? I started adding a new vocal to one of the moments, um, which apparently almost cracked Morgan up backstage. <laughs> but it's just like, you, especially with the vocalness of, of different things, for my character at least, I keep trying to find different colors, different levels, different qualities, and I think um, Morgan's really good at uh, finding different physicality for his, his little guy, um, little Aiden. So he's really good at just like being in the moment and um, playing and and just taking time in different spaces and things like that. So, yeah. And um, when you guys will be returning to Montreal uh, for, for Wild Side, the Wild Side Festival. Uh, so Wild Side, is it something that you guys have heard before? Is it a new, a new festival? Mm, Wild Side Festival was completely new. I did, the whole Centaur Theatre Award thing was completely new. We didn't know there was awards in Montreal. So... Um, <laughs> So Al LaFrance came up to us and he was like, hey, so you guys are nominated. And we're like, oh, for what? And well, for best production and for a creativity award. And I was like, well, that's cool. Um, what does that mean? What do we do? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then, like, well, like, and then, yeah, and it got really exciting. It was like, holy crap, we were nominated for these things. And then we saw, like, all of our competition. We're like, okay, well, it's, you know, this is, this is an old boys club. They're all like, this is, ain't going to happen. They ain't going to fly. Like, I was in denial almost right up until the very end because uh, they announced all the names. And I was like, well, they didn't announce us, so I think we're out of the top ten. And I was just like, okay, that's cool, though. And I was like, all right. I wonder who won. Who won? <laughs> And then they announced us, and I was like, what? Anyway, so yeah, no, uh, Wild Side, <laughs> never, 
never heard of it, but um, everyone's been talking to us, especially like right after we won the award. Everyone kept coming out to us. It's like, do you have any idea how big of a deal this is? Like, uh, we yeah. are so excited for you guys to come back and blah blah. blah. And we're like, well, no, yeah, we will come back. This is awesome. So, um, uh, well, Wildside, uh, the Wildside Festival is is recently under the artistic direction of Joanna Nutter, who's oh. kind of uh, who, who last year was oh, our yeah. fringe uh, Saint Anne Bosman Montreal fringe uh, spokesperson. Um, so it's it's kind of the cutting edge of theater, and it's 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 quite the honor. So once Sweet. again, congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, she's she's, she's, she's really, such really a nice. doll. <laughs> Love that girl. Great. Um, so thanks so much for no coming problem. and talking you to us. Oh. oh, you have another what? Oh, music. So um, yeah, you guys spoke of of the of the original music in this production. Is there something maybe you would like our listeners or to share with our listeners? I would like to share. A, a ch- this chickadee bit <laughs> um, a little kind of backstory I guess of that of a lot of our music actually um, some of the things we have a, a little bit of vocals in it because um, we thought it would be really nice to go to a, a first grade first grade third, third grade class um, of a friend of ours that was teaching it and get them to do a bit of recording and um, the chickadee bird song uh, features quite a bit into our show so it was really nice to get uh, kids actually singing chickadee um, as a song and then putting it to some music and it's, it's my favorite song of the entire show personally so yeah that's Here what we will show so thank you so much Danielle and Morgan and um, you can catch them at the Broadway Theater uh, they'll be presenting uh, shows till August 9th once again $14 for the tickets and uh, if you're around Saskatoon you'll see them around and see how charming and wonderful people they are uh, so Aiden Flynn lost his brother so he makes another and uh, that's all for now thank you thanks thank you <laughs> So we have the lovely Katie Huska here with us for our next interview. Um, she's from the company Idiot Presents. Uh, in, in, at the St. Albans Montreal Fringe Festival last year, uh, she was there with her partner in crime, Tim, uh, Tim Monley. Is that how you pronounce his name? That's correct. All right. Tim Monley. And they were presenting uh, Play Actually. That's that correct. Right? Okay, yes. great. Um, Awesome. So it's so nice to cross paths here in Saskatoon. Agreed. Um, and you have a new show, one-woman show, 
uh, called Lovesick. Yes. And uh, is this the first time you do a one-woman show? Is this your first... Uh, Ever in my life, yeah, that's wow. correct. So yeah. how's that going? <laughs> well, um, it's actually been an amazing process. I, um, I, I've been putting it off knowing that I want to do it, and artistically it's sort of the next important step in my trajectory, my career. And um, so for about a half a dozen years, I dreamt of it and had all these ideas, but never sat down and put it together and made the plan and had a deadline until I had this opportunity to take this slot that became available. Yeah. And... Um, so you were a last-minute uh, last addition to the Saskatoon Fringe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is, is it a show that you already had, or was it when you found out that you had the opportunity to come here that you kind of, okay, now it's, now's the time? Yeah, scramble. Yeah. Kind of a sign. Three, two, one, blast off, <laughs> make a show. <laughs> really fast working, but, you know, that was amazing, too, because um, I can tend to overthink things, so it was so fast that I had to just, you know, make quick decisions and... Um, and that made it fun, and that made the momentum just strong and uh, forward-moving always. And um, and uh, and finding all the amazing community of my life all over the world coming to support my efforts um, was amazing too. And I think the shortness of the time that I had had to do with that as well. People just like, okay, let's help you make this happen. Yeah, in a short amount of time. And is uh, is this your only stop? Are you are you planning on taking this show, your one woman show, elsewhere? No, not at the moment. So, so far, this is the the first trial. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, and for for lovesick, it, it is a, a story based on on relationships. Yeah, and, on en- engagements. Yes. <laughs> so uh, is it is it a personal story where you're you're playing yourself and you're you're telling your story? Maybe it gave us a little feel on on the approach in the in the show. Well, it's um, it is personal. It's very personal, and I use my own stories um, in a fairly um, abstract way, uh, and I also sort of mine my family history. Um, because generations and in all the generations that I've heard stories about there's sort of this sort of beautiful dysfunction in the long-term relationships um, and you know it's always sort of happy endings but they but there's trials and tribulations along the way that I never would have expected the sort of fairy tale thing to have um, included you know <laughs> yeah so I you know those those little stories kept bursting my bubble of what romantic love and long-term relationships might be like um, from an early age, from about 12 years old, as these revelations uh, would would appear, would ex- escape out of someone's mouth, and like an oops, you know, oh, you weren't supposed to know that about great-grandma, or whatever. So, anyway, so I use those as well. But they're all sort of dramatized, so I try to create... So, it's, so that it's not too much just like me telling my family, hanging my family's dirty laundry, and it's a little <laughs> bit more like theatrical and fun and, yeah, maybe more relatable because it's sort of hyperbolized and people can maybe laugh, but then also maybe see something or, anyway. And also relate, right? Because I feel like we all know of or come from dysfunctional family. <laughs> so... Um, do you find it somewhat therapeutical or helps you kind of wrap your mind around how relationships work and how 
um, our relationships within relationships and our with our family you, has that been has that been helpful yeah you know yeah really really um, excavating the stories and looking at them and mm. you know you won't see the evidence of that in the show really it's my show is very much just vignettes they're fast-paced they don't go very very deep um, but for for me and and what it's had the effect it's had on me it's really been important because I have exactly as you say been able to um, yeah find the the sort of find an equanimity or something like that in the, the sort of things that I would have beforehand sort of just judged as oh that's really awful that that happened or something like that in this relationship and now I can kind of see it a little bit more clearly because I have to <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah just he, the humanity of it all I guess and, and it being a one woman show are you completely alone what do we see when we enter your universe are there props do you work with props it's very bare bones. Um, mm-hmm. So what you see at the beginning is actually me uh, bumbling around and getting everyone comfortable in the space and um, chit-chatting and trying to sort of get to know the humans that I'm about to perform for. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we get started on a really casual note. I just sort of address the audience from the audience um, with very, very simply, like, here, here's my context, here I am. Um, okay, let's go. Uh, and, yeah. and then it gets weird. <laughs> I, I um, you know, turn into great-grandmother or my aunt, or various aunts, actually. A couple of them are featured. Um, yeah, a couple of movement numbers mm-hmm. um, that are sort of um, interpretive, gestural, gestural-based mm-hmm. work to try to capture the chaos of the mind (laughs) Um, and what's your what's your movement background you say there's a few dance or dance movement numbers in this in this production Um, is it something that you've done before that you're trying out now Um, I don't I wouldn't ever call myself a dancer uh, but I have taken some courses I did some musical theater and that's the kind of situation where you know you learn a lot of choreography on the spot and the choreographer makes it for people who aren't dancers necessarily so that was all fun and my sort of college experience and just after college I joined a physical theater company Mm. called Trick Lock Theater in Albuquerque and their history um, their sort of lineage um, is is, uh, having the founders having studied at Garjanica school in Poland which takes its inspiration from Grotowski so we, we are sort of descendants of that, and I, um, I spent my sort of post-college, when you're like really deciding who, who you are and what you do, um, getting in really into that and, and loving to train in a sort of highly physical, ritual-based mm-hmm. way um, and create in that way as well, ensemble, um, physical theater creation. So... You also did research or, or uh, took classes in Paris, I believe, right? Yes, I did. I completed the two-year program at Ecole Philippe Gaulier, mm. um, which is a funny program because um, he doesn't teach technique even a bit. He works improvisationally um, to find each performer's individual beauty. And sometimes they aren't a performer, and it's you know something that might be hard for them to discover, but what he helps people discover is okay, maybe they're actually 
most beautiful as a director or most beautiful as a writer or most beautiful as a clown or a buffon or a blah, blah, blah. And um, anyway, that's his me methodology. And, um, but then again, I say that, but we spent half the day with, um, in physical training. Um, and he would always sort of grumpily tell the, whoever was training us at the moment because we would have different masters of um, movement. Every, every course they would change over. So every month or every two months we'd have a new instructor. And um, he would always tell them that he didn't want them to be... Um, what would he say? I mean, m m the idea was he, they were only there to help us to sort of open up and become more playful and just have some fun before we got to the, you know, the meat and the work. Um, but in, in fact, we were learning incredible things. We were working with um, tissue and um, acrobatics. And um, so there was a lot of play and a lot of silliness, but there was also a lot of like fairly structured, like even within the course of a month, you could really get somewhere with your acrobatics or uh, whatever. So hmm. anyway, yeah, that did happen. <laughs> <laughs> and um, how, how you're at the uh, Victoria School upstairs uh, yeah. auditorium and yes. how was that adaptation of, of taking something you created and, and bringing it into this new space that you were seeing for the first time? And how was that? Uh... Fortunately, I had um, a, a one-up, or a leg-up. I performed there last year, so when we were here last oh, year with Play, perfect. actually, I knew the spaces, so as I was creating it, I could imagine where I'd be performing, where the audience would be. So, yeah, advantage. <laughs> I had an advantage. <laughs> cool. Uh, during the creative process for uh, a work that includes dialogue as well as uh, movement sections and kind of the physicality of the different characters, um, do you have one that comes before the other? Do you have them influence each other as you're kind of doing drafts of the work? I... I think um, what the way that the movement pieces coalesced was I had this idea to have a scene toward the end called Mind Chaos. Um, and I wanted it to be physical mostly and I wanted to be able to just like just like verbalize all the millions of thoughts that rapidly go through a, a mind that's obsessed with something in love that's going on in your life. Um, and it was complicated and probably a bit too mind chaos with the language of it. Um, so it wasn't, I, it wasn't working quickly enough. Like we didn't have enough time to play with it to bring it to what I had kind of conceived. So um, my director, uh, Julie Hendren, thought um, we should try to bring in a choreographer. That choreographer is the UNM head of dance at... Oh, UNM. Her name's Donna Jewell. And she helped me to quickly, uh, in this process, pare down this sort of two-page, like, just scattered thinking um, and, and find five words. Um, and so we used those five words, created gestures from those words, and then created choreography from there. Okay, and so it's kind of identifying the moments that aren't, aren't working in this medium and trying to find a different medium in which to kind of express yes, the same ideas. Yes, and then, um, from the, and then that was cool because we discovered that we could um, just shift the gestures ever so or bring them into, like, you know, um, add a different intention or, or a different sort of 
feel like you know um, adding a plie or adding a childish playfulness or adding sex or adding um, different things, different words to sort of go in a direction with the intention of the gestures would allow me to then create different types of pieces with this base, these base gestures. And that I was then able to fit into the script um, as a sort of touching back point. So there would, I, I could, you know, have a scene that was seemingly unrelatable and then come to this movement piece that I could tweak to support what had just happened or support what's to come. Um, it's, it's not where it could be yet. Um, yesterday was my premiere and I do feel like, um, you know, I, I feel like there's, it's got a lot of growth, but it's a really exciting uh, tool or um, uh, I, I don't know the word I'm looking for, foil, but that's not the right word. But anyway, it's, it's, a, it's fun to play with and I'm excited about where it'll go. Yeah, I, there's there's this phrase in your promotional material that it says a uh, screwball physical comedy, and it sounds much more um, complex than that. <laughs> well, and so there is that element as well. I consider them different. Like I've got these movement pieces. Um, they're sort of like they exist somewhere else uh, in 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 this crazy world that has all these different sort of parallel universes mashed together. Well, not universes, but different stories and d moments in time and um, styles, whatever, mashed together. So there's the movement pieces, but then also in the in the monologues and the in the the scenes, uh, there there is some physical comedy. A couple of the characters are very um, more like caricatures, and I do like to play with the comedy there. Uh, just that's part of who I am on stage, so I love to be able to bring that in. And also, um, my director helped me to, to find the more of the comedy, because I, to me it's important that, I don't know, that a piece, that this topic is well-trod, but also can be a little bit too heavy. And so, you know, bringing it all over the place so that we do have the, hopefully, the, the depth, but we can also have the levity and the silliness. Um, yeah. And uh, do you have any music in your show, or is there some kind of uh, any uh, ambience that's created, or are you, is it completely you, like you said, bare bones, just you on stage, doing these different characters? I have just a tiny bit of music. I go back to the same song for the movement pieces, mm -hmm. um, and then I sing a bit, and uh, with some Ukrainian, lovely Ukrainian uh, songs, which that's sort of part of the connection to Garjanitsa and Poland and Grotowski is this school which our, our founders attended. They met this beautiful woman, Mariana Shodowska, and she taught us many a beautiful song, Ukrainian and Polish in origin. And So anyway, I sing some of those pieces and um, yeah, I, I, I have I love the pre and post show music. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a very multidisciplinary yeah, one woman yeah. show. You do a bit of everything. Yeah, and they say they I don't know who they are, but they say that um, <laughs> in your in your solo in your uh, in your debut work, whether it be solo or with a group, uh, they, people tend to try to include too much or try to include everything, you know, because they just want to get it all in there. And I think I've successfully done that, <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> Um, so, uh, if we can share 
this song you speak of that comes back for the movement section to our listeners to maybe give them a little taste of uh, of the music or, or of the sound. Ah, um, it's uh, okay. Go. Okay, I go. feel like I shouldn't be saying this because I haven't asked them for permission for it yet. <laughs> okay, go. If you're listening, please, can I use your song in my fringe show? <laughs> um, it's, it's, I can't, um, I want you so bad I can't breathe. And it's pretty wonderful. Like, his vocals are um, princess-esque, but, but even more sort of, I don't know, prince to me can be a bit of a cartoon, and the vocals on this track are just really... They're like sexy, and they're like they have a lot of longing in them, and um, and then the the beat and the bass is really nice. Um, the drums are really good. They're good for inspiring movement and in, in imagination. So, to me, <laughs> great, great. Mm. So we've been discussing with the lovely Katie Huska um, about her uh, show, Love Sick, and uh, from by Idiot Presents. Uh, yes. So her first one-woman show, and uh, wish you best of luck, and we look forward to seeing it. Thank you. Thank you very much.
the next pair of guests we're going to be speaking with today is uh, James Brown and James E. Evans from uh, the production Two for Tea. Uh, Hello, th- I'm here. <laughs> Uh, I'm here also. <laughs> believe it or not, they're going to be presenting a, a comedic show. Uh, um, so it's Two for Tea. We saw this show last year at the St. Amboise Montreal French Festival. Also this year at Montreal, you guys presented High Tea, which uh, is that a sequel to Two for Tea? Well, it's sort of like another adventure. Basically, our audiences were clamoring for more, and we decided to deliver. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's really an economical choice. It's not a uh, chronology. Um, one show could happen before the other. Uh, so it is just a standalone adventure. Okay, fantastic. And it, But Two for Tea was created first. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And this is Saskatoon's first chance to see Two for Tea. Yeah, basically, we, as we're touring, we want to keep all of our material as fresh as possible. So we'll go from one festival to another and hop skip between the two, trying to... Uh, keep it fresh for us and the audiences. And one way that we do that is to do a different show here than we did in the last festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get to revisit these characters now through the lens of having a done uh, an entirely new show with them. Mm-hmm. So it's fresh for us because we get to appreciate them in new ways now that they've had all these other experiences. Uh, that's really fun for me. Well, something else that keeps the, the show pretty fresh is that you get the, the audience involved in the production. Which Is that fair to say or is that a big secret? Uh, no, considering it was on the front page of the arts section of the local newspaper, I think it's fair to cats, say. Cats out of the bag. <laughs> cats right. out of the bag, that's right. Um, yeah, we, we delight in play, and we try to get everyone... What? what one thing we like to do is uh, immersive theatre. So we, we try to have everyone feel like they're a part of the same experience, rather than simply watching one. So one way we do that is we invite people to bring teacups to the show. Um, so people at home they can look through their you know the cupboards and see a tea set that was handed down to them from their grannies for example that's right listeners at home you can go and get a teacup to feel part of the interview right now we're actually all sipping tea on fine china bone china (laughs) (laughs) and uh and so they have that relationship that that maybe um reminiscing with the teacup at home and that's where the show begins because there there's uh, a, a sentimentality to that experience and then they come to the show and get to drink tea out of it with all the audience members uh, even before the show begins and once it begins they become increasingly involved to the extent that uh, some audience members may actually end up wearing costumes that we provide and playing key roles on the, on the stage just coincidentally just they happen to be wearing costumes who would have known that we had <laughs> costumes provided and ready to don on them as soon as we uh get them onto the stage. And speaking of the tea and all of that, this is maybe a good time to plug your sponsor. Oh, sure. Tetley Tea. Uh, <laughs> the fine teas. And they've been really generous with us, actually. They've been supporting us in our journey across Canada with the Fringe Festivals and also providing us with all the tea for all the fine patrons that come out to our show. And as far as developing James and Jamesy, uh, where did that all start and how? what was the inspiration to, to go the British way and to... Uh, well, in uh, 2012, uh, we've been working with a group of clowns actually in Vancouver for the last few years. And <clears throat> one thing we do is uh, we challenge ourselves each, um, each time we get together to put on new characters, to discover new bodies and voices and scenarios. Uh, 
And these characters actually came about through just kind of impulsively um, going from one character to the next, as the other clowns in the group uh, told us to switch, switch, switch. And uh, Jamesy ended up with the char- with a, a British character with, that does crazy movements with his legs. <laughs> and, um, and then I was to do a scene with that character. So then they did switches on me. And I love monster bodies. I go to big bodies and just beast kind of primal energies. Um, and I noticed myself continually going back to those. And so I kind of gave up for a second. I just stood up like frustrated with myself. And they said, that one. They said that character when I was doing no character. Uh, so I tried. So they tried to have two characters, one be doing, like not putting on a character myself, play with Jamesy in a scene, and that became an eight-minute skit that we did in our f- first show with that clown group, and people loved it so much, particularly the chemistry between the characters, that it was invited to be a part of um, festivals and, and uh, fundraisers and various things, uh, mostly in BC. Uh, and eventually we extended it because uh, we, we created about half an hour of material. We extended it to a full show because we were excited to tour it. Yeah, as independent theatre producers, we're always sort of looking out for opportunities. And when, when we see windows and when we're encouraged to take them, we certainly try to charge down those alleyways full steam. So a couple of our teachers uh, saw our little skit and said, there's something there. And we felt it as well. So... And those, those, uh, the richness in a relationship or in a performance or scene doesn't come about all the time. So when it does come about, we recognize there's an opportunity. So uh, that's, that's how we proceeded. Right now, we're actually kind of uh, in an interesting crossroads with our third show. We're in the process of creating a new show. And it still may be James and Jamesy, but the, uh, we're excited to leave the uh, the sort of family friendly properness that we've established, and get into a bit more of the uh, the more adult, uh, darker than macabre. More of uh, the the thirteenth hour. Yeah. Um. More, <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly, so that we feel free to, to play as we want to. Because right now, with our, with our shows, two for tea and high tea, they satisfy us in a lot of ways, uh, and yet there's certainly some. Uh, We've built a, a, a rapport with our audiences that they, that they can come to expect a certain, mm-hmm. certain uh, accessible, as one person called it, cotton candy theater, which is a phrase I'm not particularly fond of because I think our show has a lot of uh, heart and significance to it beyond uh, being playful and friendly. It's actually about, it actually facilitates audiences to play with themselves and with each other uh, beyond what, the, what they're expecting, beyond what they are often aware that's possible for themselves. So we get adults, we get older people we, playing with younger people, we get them all dancing, we get them uh, just sort of excited and involved in the production uh, in a way that, that for some is challenging and for, for most gives them a sense of delight that they, they rarely experience and rarely give themselves permission to to uh, to uh, live. One thing he once said that I quite liked is that uh, people get to leave the theatre knowing a new version of themselves. That something they found inside themselves uh, gets to uh, come out, and and it might delight them the discovery of it. 
Uh, you guys actually won an award uh, this year at the Montreal Fringe Festival for uh, the script, which, of course, surprised you guys, uh, which, which I find very interesting because, of course, it, it, it must have been a, a stellar script uh, for High Tea to have done so. But I understand as well that you're surprised because the show is so physical and there is so much to, to kind of, the, the, especially Jamesy, you're, you're pointing with your toes and... and your butt has a mind of its own, pretty much. And well, so <laughs> the, the show has been reviewed uh, by a dance reviewer in Toronto, incidentally, uh, at Two for Tea was. Um, a lot of people after the show say, you must be dancers, particularly to Jamesy. Uh, so it, it is an extremely physical show, and I can't fathom what it is like to read the script without seeing that physicality. <laughs> Um, we try to reduce the stage direction notes um, so that the technician doesn't have too much to read when they're following along. Um, so for um, Mr. Mackey to... Uh, I, was, it, he, was he the selector of, of the best text? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, so for him to read the script and they come see the show, I'm, I'm sure a lot of things fell into place like oh I understand now uh, yeah when we apply to festivals and festivals that are adjudicated that require scripts um, we send them along and often they respond to us we know it's a good show because everyone that has seen it seems to love it your reviews are great but from reading the script I don't really know how it works <laughs> and but often they, they say, well, well, we'll trust you. Come along, and then we'll be put on the show. And they're like, so that's how it goes. That was fantastic. So we had that experience just earlier this year in Vancouver at the Revolver Festival when, where people just tr- trusted, trusted us. Um, also at Jericho. Oh, yeah. Jer- they, they were reluctant. <laughs> really reluctant. <laughs> yeah, at, at Jericho Art Center, a place where we performed last year, uh, we submitted a script, and they were reluctant. <laughs> When, when playing characters for so long and, and developing new shows with the same characters, how, um, how do you disconnect your, yourself and that character? And do you find that, that you are James and Jamesy? Like that was... Yes, I find we are. It's, we play extended versions of ourselves. Uh, friends Peter and Chris, Peter Carlin and Chris Wilson, uh, with their shows, they say, they said to me earlier this year, well, we basically play the same characters in every show. And I said, well, you kind of go from being cowboys to being old people. And they say, yeah, but we're really always just playing extended versions of ourselves. And I think to what James and I do, and it's, it's similar. You know, we, we get in totally different costumes. Whether we're dressed up as old ladies, we still have a sort of similar playful dynamic. Or whether we're dressed in business suits. Um, the the quality of play is is there, and I think that's uh, that's doesn't change. The situations we put ourselves in do, and the the framework might change, but the delight of performing together is there. At the same time, um, one thing we realised after discovering these characters was that Jamesy was actually parodying me in real life. So if you've seen Two for Tea, it begins with kind of meticulous care in the setting up of a tea party like the pres- like the precision in exactly where the teacup goes and where the chair sits relative to the table in the teacup and Jamesy felt that he was uh, making 
parodying me for how he feels in my house. Because I'm very particular in exactly where I put everything. And to, to the point that when he comes over to my house in real life, he asks me, can I put my cup here? Can I, you know... <laughs> He's like walking in a minefield a little bit. Um, it, it's not that way for everyone. It's just we have quite different um, found, uh, standards, I would say. <laughs> so, in a way, our characters play... His character plays me in real life, but also you'll see a layer that our characters, James and James E.R., are extensions of ourselves, for sure. Mm-hmm. And having to always be together and tour together, and I, I know that you have, you also have a family. Oh, it's rough. How do you guys? How do you? How do you manage that? And and keeping, um, yeah. How um, is how is that sane? I think. Oh, James is pulling <laughs> the microphone away. Um, I think the main thing is that we try to be uh, really honest with each other and honest with what our needs are, and so we can take time apart from each other when we need to. Uh, when someone has a prior, someone has something that's important to them, we try to accommodate it, uh, and so it's really a sort of a dance of accommodating each other's needs. And I would say something that's uh, fundamental to all healthy relationships is that to not blame the other person for your feelings. Mm-hmm. So to be able to share how you feel and to be able to explore that together, possibly, um, but to not make the other person as the cause or the the problem. Uh, then we're not you know, thrown onto the defensive and we can still communicate. Uh, in addition, uh, one thing that is a part of our show creation process is play. We find delight in a lot of similar things. And there's very few things that I, I can think of that I enjoy more than making this guy laugh a lot, right? And so to entertain each other is, is a wonderful um, substance in a relationship. And it's who we are when we tour together uh, in a whole range of contexts and in our show creation process and during the show itself. Uh, So it's all a part of the package. There isn't so much... uh, It's not very different on stage and off stage or in rehearsal and in a car. Have you guys been driving everywhere? Is that that your uh, moyer of transportation? That primarily is. It's a long way to travel across this country. Uh, especially in a vehicle. So we actually sort of split it up a bit. James has a family, so sometimes they do the drive. So they drove from Toronto to Winnipeg, and I flew, so they could have some family time. And also I was going elsewhere in the meantime. Uh, To do the Iron Man. (laughs) Yes, I did an Iron Man. (laughs) 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 It's in between festivals. Um, (laughs) No big deal. And so we sometimes we tra- we drive together, and his family flies elsewhere. Like his family's now in England, um, and so we we sort of split it up a bit that way. I guess can you give us the breakdown of uh, where and when next people can see uh, not just in in the Saskatoon fringe here, but in, in the grander scheme of things? Do you have plans for this new show already oh. to be presented? For this new show, yeah, we'll, we'll debut it probably at next year's Ingest Festival of Clown and Play in Vancouver, and we'll tour that across the Fringe Festival circuit. But for the fall, we're touring, uh, continuing on to, from Saskatoon to Edmonton, then Victoria, then Vancouver, then Chilliwack, then Gibson's in North Vancouver, then Nelson, then Salt Spring Island, and then West Vancouver, North Vancouver. Maybe Orlando. 
maybe Orlando. There's and that's all two for tea. That two that for tour? tea and high two. Yeah. Okay. Mostly high tea. It's mostly our new show. But our tour schedule is online at jamesandjamesy.com. Brilliant. Cool. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for joining. This, of course, was James and Jamesy from Two for Tea playing at the Saskatoon Fringe Festival. Woo! Just before we wrap up our Saskatoon Fringe episode of Dirty Feet, uh, we are going to talk to uh, Linnea Giviazda, who is uh, who is the third performer in For Body and Light, which is Stephanie Morin-Robert's choreography, which, of course, myself, Allison, is also performing in. So uh, rather than sort of an interview style thing we're just going to talk a bit about our show and we opened last night here at the Saskatoon Fringe and and how it's been so far we spoke in a little bit more detail about the show itself uh, when we presented the work at Tangente in February of 2014 and uh, we had Amy Blackmore come on as a uh, guest host so that we could kind of get a more outsider interview with Stephanie herself. Uh, so we, we, if you want a little bit more background on the work itself, you can refer to that. What, what we've done now, uh, maybe Steph, do you want to talk about the, the new kind of manifestation of the work that we're doing for the fringe here in Saskatoon? Uh, yeah, it was, um, it's been a really interesting journey over the last year. The project's kind of evolved and, and shedded as well. Um, there is a lot of movement, a lot of people involved, and now we're kind of, um, here with, with, uh, with myself, with Ian doing spoken word, doing music, and, uh, both, uh, Linnea and Allison, both of you. So it's, it's kind of taking a new form where I feel like we've, um, the work continues to evolve, but we've almost simplified the the structure and and what's left of it, and 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 kept what was essential essential to to the project and to us 
uh, who was performing it. Um, it's an interesting shift for myself to now be in the work and not kind of be the, the tech the tech girl <laughs> controlling the light during the show. Um, and uh, so to, to be a part of the work and, and uh, physically engaged on a whole different level has been really nice. Uh, so presenting the work here and, and having opened yesterday was was filled with emotions because I feel that um, coming to a city where you don't know anybody, you've never been before, participating in a festival that you only heard of and um, were corresponding with uh, upon arrival, it's, it's, it puts you in a very vulnerable position, uh, especially when you're kind of sharing your, your baby with, with a new audience. And we're here in Saskatoon and, and sharing memories and experience that, that were had uh, with the company in, in the Bay of Fundy and in Parsboro, and it's it's quite something because they don't have very much water here. Um, I mean, Saskatoon is the city of bridges, and there is a river that passes through it. Um, but as far as uh, experiencing something like the tides, it's something very new. And if we can pass that on and and have them experience that, even though it's maybe something they've never actually experienced. Um, that could be really great. So I, I think I'm a mix of uh, being nervous and, but thrilled and excited and terrified. It's like so many emotions all together. Mm-hmm. And uh, Linnea, you were you were speaking a lot about that that uh, y- y- bringing this this oceanic performance to a landlocked province. Here we are in in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Uh, yesterday, do you have any further thoughts? There? Yeah. Um, well, it is a landlocked province and. There is no coast in sight here other than a, a little river. Um, but I think there's a lot in our show that that is universal. Um, the show is not just about the ocean. It's not just about our experience in Parsboro. It's about a journey. It's about uh, discovery. It's about embarking on something and going into the unknown and, and, and finding out... Uh, uh, a lot about yourself as you discover new places in the world and in your life and and it's kind of interesting because I think as a collective that's really what we're experiencing each place we go to with this show we're we're finding out more about it and finding out uh, more about ourselves as performers and um, and as artists too so it's very reflective of, of where we are and it's also very reflective of most people's life experiences as they pass through different times in their in their life personally I want to say that the you know it's we're only one show in of a seven show run but the Saskatoon Fringe Festival has been a really incredible uh, experience already. It's uh, like we mentioned at the top of the show. There's only 33 shows in this festival, and that's purposeful. Uh, they had a much, much more venues last year. They had a, a wider variety of shows, and they've kind of pared down to find this comfortable spot where they have enough public to fill seats um, and to really kind of get a handle on the on the programming. Also, it means that a lot of the times are really desirable uh, here at the Saskatoon Fringe Festival. It's a lot of 5.30, 7, 8.30, 9 o'clock shows. You don't have the 11.45. You don't have the 2.30 on a Thursday. Um, and I've been really enjoying that. It, it makes me feel like I can get the most out of my experience, not just as an artist, but also as a patron. 
uh, yeah, does anybody else want to speak to the to the experience here? Yeah, the community here seems very eager for art and eager to experience different types of shows. It's nice to come to a smaller city coming from Montreal where our fringe has, you know, 110, 120 shows and 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 it's hard to to get people in the seats sometimes, especially if you're out of town. But here, it, it is, as you were saying, Alison, really manageable for, for the population and everyone in the community, uh, whether you're in the arts or in science or, uh, you know, just run a shop downtown, everyone seems to know about the Fringe Festival. It's such a community event here. It's so central uh, to the, the calendar of the summer in Saskatoon and and that's really exciting to be part of something that is is so all-encompassing to the community here as a whole. And um, it's it's kind of refreshing because I think I'm at a point in Montreal as a as a Montreal-based artist and, and person living there um, where I kind of get the sense of I'm starting to feel a little disappointed in the community and, and um, trying to get a feel of where it's going and if it's not necessarily dying off but it's these are just questions I've been asking myself and and to come here and see how closely knit the community is and and how supportive they are and like here the streets closed and it is closed because of the fringe and there are people who are gathered here because of the fringe and you go into a coffee shop and they're talking about the fringe and um the the town really knows that it's happening and it's something that exists um, so it's not lost with a bunch of other things that are happening. Uh, so that's been really nice and almost eye-opening to see um, how that works here. And, and it's, it's really a pleasure to be a part of it because they make you feel like you are a part of it. And, and we've been here only, what, four days now. And it's, it's, you, you, know, you already feel like, oh, I'm comfortable here. Like, I, this, this could easily be home. Mind you, the fringe isn't year-round, so who knows? But I yeah. definitely, it's winning our hearts for sure, Saskatoon. We love you. Yeah. Well, we're going to keep it short so we have something to speak about uh, in the next couple cities because, uh, of course, uh, after we finish our run here in Saskatoon, we're going to be moving on to Edmonton, Victoria, and Vancouver, and we'll be uh, tuning in with our, with our little updates on how the Four Body and Light tour is going. Uh, if you're in Saskatoon... Uh, our run goes straight through until the 9th of August, and we're presenting at the Cosmopolitan Senior Center at various times, mostly in the evenings, all pretty manageable, and uh, we would love to, to see you out there. Yeah, and the, the what's been lovely, too, in the last four days is just slowly meeting people because our show, we do invite people to ha- do an opening act. So um, that's been another way that we can connect with them. And, and, and if you do catch us, you might see somebody you know. <laughs> Some local Saskatoonian. Uh, also, you can check out fourbodyandlight.org for more information on the project that we're presenting here at the Fringe Festival. Um, so again, this is going to wrap up our uh, Saskatoon Fringe edition. Uh, we just took a took a second to sit in the park here at the Victoria School, and uh, that's about it. Uh, Till next week.
30 Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theatre. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. 30 Feet est produit et animé par Produced and hosted by Alison Burns J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com Follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast. Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.